Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. I'm your host, Phil Llewellyn. Thank you for joining us for season three, where we explore all things sports coaching. My guests are going to present their key learnings for a piece of content of their choosing, and we then discuss its application. Three excellent guests join me this week as we continue season three. So please, gents, if you want to introduce yourselves and tell us your current role. So, um, hi, Phil. Uh, my name is Barry Maddox, and I'm currently a skills coach at the, the Dragons in the, the Pro 14 in Wales. And I'm Warren Abrams, uh, currently head coach of Wales Women's. Um, hi there, guys. My name is A.B. Zondag. Um, I'm currently an assistant coach at Toulouse Rugby in France. Fantastic. Yes, we really appreciate having you on. Uh, yeah, also really excited for this. Um, three, three strong coaches, um, great experience, great professional experience as well. So um, keen to get into this. Uh, just before we do, a quick reminder to check out the blurb on Rugby Coach Weekly for links to all the content we discuss and recommendations to other high quality content. So uh, Baz, we're coming to you first. What is it that you're going to talk to us about? Yeah, great, Phil. Um, I've just um, sort of uh, on reflection, really, I was a couple of things that I wanted to look at. Um, probably my own self-development really was about um, a little bit on engagement, um, how to make things a little bit more interesting with um, sort of getting my points across really. And, um, and I came across um, uh, a guy called Doug Lemov. Um, now Doug Lemov, obviously um, he's uh, created a, a book, you know, sort of teach like a champion. So he's, he's quite um, renowned for his work in, on the academic side of things, um, probably world famous really. And he's only just come out with a book, um, The Coach's Guide to Teaching. Um, and I'm only just kind of halfway through the book at this moment in time, but um, it's um, trying to point some bits that he's had of gained and obviously from a, a teaching background side of, side of things, but also he's got lots of tie-ins with lots of different sports people within the book as well. What, uh, do you want to run through a couple of bits that he talks about, mate? Do you want to give us kind of a general overview of, of some of the key takeaways for you? Yeah, there's, um, as I said, it's early doors in the book at the moment, but um, one of the main sort of uh, couple of chapters I've looked at so far, chapter two was a, an interesting one, really, where he talks a lot a bit about um, the difference between performance and learning. Um, and one of his sort of... Uh, Tippets there was the most overlooked factor in learning is is forgetting. So um, as part of learning, we need to forget and then need to revisit that. And I found that quite quite interesting. And and the the bit that he um, referred to really was um, performance. He would talk about was um, you know an athlete what they can do at the end of a session uh, and what they know. Um, and, and the same as anything really was we kind of, at the end of a session, we all think, oh, yeah, we've got it. We've covered everything that they want to do and, and they're away and they've nailed it. Great. Um, but it's the next day. And what he says, it's a bit of a ghost really, because that's, you know, straight after the session, pretty much people have started to forget about what they've done within that session. 
obviously as well it depends about the complexity of things and how people learn and everything else um but what he said then is you know sort of you know big part of that is is for us really to try to build a training environment which constantly retrieves from the working memory uh, the bits that you know we that they would have probably forgotten parts of it but it's how we build a training session around that so that was really interesting for me because um i think we tend to go right okay monday we come in we'll we'll do some stuff and then we may touch base with it a little bit you know on confirmation day towards the end of the week but they've already lost a mass amount of that learning through, through them few days so i found that um really interesting for my part of things you know and about obviously putting things in that allows the players the opportunity to pick the learnings right the way through the week rather than just on a block really so that was one area for sure for me what, what would that actually look like in your environment buzz how how do you then kind of improve that process of is that where theming becomes important or is that just about getting them to to recall the information in in lots of different ways across the days how i mean at the level you guys are at you're in a position where you obviously you're expecting players to be able to learn almost session to session and certainly week to week. Do you know what I mean? If that's taking them anything longer than a week, I guess there might be a, an issue with how they're dealing with that information. So with, with quite a short time frame, how, how do you overcome that and get them to, to kind of be successful in that sense? I think, I think we started to look at a lot about how I sort of maybe prime a lot before uh, the following day, for example. So, we would obviously look at um, maybe sending an image out of something, you know, say if, for example, um, one of the things was about body height, for example, um, that we were looking at through the breakdown. And all we would look at is maybe a couple of images which show that somebody lowering their height, for example, or somebody that's quite tall, just something to stimulate the brain a little bit about, you know, what we covered maybe the day before. Um, we may use some stuff now as a primer before the start of a meeting. So we may again, just put an image up there. Um, we may put some clues up. So it's a bit like, um, a bit like the old hangman, I suppose, where you got, you know, uh, a sort of phrase across there with body height and we've got a couple of letters in there and we'll just ask them to to see if they can recall some of the stuff that they've done um a lot more on um quizzes you know that type of stuff really to stimulate the learning so not just really on on pitch stuff really so i think that's been pretty useful for for us as coaches and how we keep drip feeding that that message in throughout the week and then also conversely that um, we're challenging them to, to try to learn and remember what we've covered off in that week really. So open question for all of you how how good do you think the players you work with are as learners and I mean that because I, I, I wonder whether are we kind of presuming by the stage they get to being a professional player that they should be very good at learning that's what's helped them to get there or actually is there still a lot of work to be done with I need to understand how this person works and, and how to relate things to them in the best manner 
and actually always be working with them to develop them in how they learn, if that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? So I wonder if we could get caught in that. They're here, so they should be good enough at learning because otherwise they wouldn't be here. But actually, can can we still do more around making them a better, more effective learner? Can I jump in there? Go for it, mate. Yeah, um, I think, you know, it's a, it's a complex question. I think in every... Um, in every team, doesn't matter where you work, doesn't matter what um, what level you're coaching. I think there's always a spectrum of of what type of learners you have in your team or people that you think possibly cannot learn. Um, and I think the most important thing is to identify the individuals within your group and not just treat them as a group as a whole, um, because I think that's where a lot of us get it wrong. Yes, we are coaching a team sport. Yes, there is a general consensus on what works and what doesn't but it's definitely i think the next step is the is the individualization of of learning um and that for me you know first and foremost starts with the the relationships that you that you foster with the players individually and in so fostering those relationships you can really build that into a collective um but yeah for me it's it's really to to understand the the, the broad diversity within your group to get the best out of it. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree with AB. Um, um, we actually had this conversation yesterday around individualizing um, uh, or individualized sessions. So how do we coach individuals uh, within the team? Um, because it, it is all regardless of the level for me, it is always development and performance is very much interlinked so if we if we can make that individual better and really understand um, uh, how they perceive learning or how they le learn ultimately it's it's that's where we're gonna almost get the the best or the bang for your buck for the team um, so it's it's that's probably the starting point although regardless of of whether you're an international player or a club player, it is we all want to get better, and um, learning should be a key part to that. And and then it's establishing what is the the preferred learning style. Or but I also sometimes do feel that we we label learning, um, uh, <laughs> we label individuals within their preferred way of learning. Sometimes it's their preferred way of learning doesn't necessarily mean this is how they learn. Um, so it's, it's how do we provide, probably like Barry said, it, it's exploring with different ways of uh, creating learning opportunities. So uh, the priming stuff with the images and videos, et cetera, um, they probably fuel the bias of some individuals. Others might wanna, want to have it slightly differently, but if we provide that whole sort of spectrum of, of a little bit of everything, um, I think, uh, that's how we we can then sort of establish which each individual properly want, if that answers it. And I think the the other part that you know Doug mentioned a lot is obviously the like the guys have touched base on it there the variability of each individual obviously you know because he, he talks a bit about obviously everybody's attention span is different you know the learning rate is different you know, the complexity of the task that you're doing and, and, and some would find that, you know, completely different. Um, and then the, the really interesting one I, that I probably never 
um, engaged with before probably was about, he talks about emotional state of people in that moment and things. So I thought, wow, that's, that's something I probably haven't in the past, you know, probably connected to in that sense. But, you know, there were a couple of key things really that came out of it for me. Can I jump? Yeah, 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 I, I'm just curious there, Barry, how do you now sort of, sort of um, prepare yourself for sessions based on, on that little bit of information from the sort of cognitive side of, of the individual? Do you prepare yourself differently? Um, I'm more aware now. The, the awareness is probably better, if I'm being honest, Warren, with that everybody is slightly different you know what I mean it, it, it's a case of once before because like I say it's I'm now sampling different things of getting the message across in different ways because I was probably before you know um, let's stand up you know, we've got a couple of these powerpoints we've got a couple of images the same things that we would normally do and then this is definitely um, refine my focus into doing things subtly differently for most meetings because everybody's you know different different to an extent you know um so there's that and i'm more conscious now about um honing in on the targeted messages that i want within the session so for example um i know when i'm out on session is probably a little bit more direct in the insofar as if we are talking about body height for example in the breakdown collision stuff or early catch for example that I keep almost not fully repeated until I get to see good behavior, but highlight the good behavior and things as well. So it's just that, that other side of it. So when they're doing it practically, rather than just go, you know, yeah, good body height and then move on to keep your legs going and think other things, it's really honed in on a specific area to try to bring that level right away up and the learning basically. Do you think coaching has seen a change? And I, I wouldn't be able to put a time limit on it, but in terms of that, maybe X amount of time ago, lots of coaches were kind of going to the pitch and then introducing new things. And, and it was the session that was kind of the exploration. And then there was a follow-up, whereas now maybe we see a lot more of this prep. So almost a lot of the coaching is done off the field. And actually by the time you get to that training session, that's almost just kind of the end point for the, I guess still the same, you know, exploratory nature of it, but but it's it's almost implementation then rather than we'll introduce this here and then follow it up at the next one. Do, is, is, do we think it's your roles as coaches have become far more about coaching away from the pitch than they have been previously? Hello, guys. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for it, mate. Yep. Yeah. So um, I think um, as as you mentioned, it's it's become um, uh, a massive prep you know um preparing players for what's to come and we're kind of we become these these people that stand in front of the room and warn players about what what's going to happen or what should happen um and i think the the biggest mistake or the the route that we're going which i don't like is that we're not coaching anymore on the field or we're, that we're tr so badly trying to reduce the coaching on the field because we're we're chasing, you know, GPS markers and high-speed running, and we we literally do not take time to correct things in the moment, or at least after the moment has has passed. And for me, that's um that's a prime learning opportunity is when something's just happened. 
to give a little bit of feedback and, and, and you know, try and kind of manage the, the, the thing as it goes. But it seems like we're, we're priming our players before and then we're telling them way after. And I, I understand it's got a link with a book about you need to start forgetting to start learning. But, um, you know, there, there's, an, there's an art side to the coaching for me as well, which, which is definitely on the pitch. Um, and I think possibly the further, you know, the, the more this thing goes along, the more professional it becomes, the more we, we believe that, you know, these things have to be repaired. You have to send players clips on huddle and write them little notes and draw lines and, and errors. And, you know, I think you can get so much more across sitting with a player uh, face to face and, and giving him hand gestures and telling him, do you remember that sequence that happened there? Uh, 20 minutes ago or even better do you what, what did you think just happened there 10 seconds ago and then just being able to take the time to discuss that in a manner that doesn't totally you know kill the the rhythm of the session so it's kind of finding that balance between being effective as a coach but also having efficiency as a team uh physiologically trying to achieve what you want to achieve yeah i i, I definitely agree with what uh, AB is talking there you know that that hot critical feedback sometimes positive negative is is vital really because uh, I even use myself personally a little bit of a checkpoint even if it's um, players going past and I may say just you know have a think about that remember this moment because later on we'll check it out so it's just then an easy reference point back to the player as well. Posts, you know, if you've gone off the pitch, it's an easy win. Is oh, remember when we half had a brief conversation at that moment when this happened, right? Come and have a look at this. This is what we were talking about. Did you see it? Did you not? How did you think? What were your thoughts at the time? Can you remember? It's just like the you know, definitely the the reference point is is key, and then at least that's an instant bit back that they can recall for sure. Yeah, um, <laughs> that was, uh, that's great. And, and um, I probably struggled with this one in my last role um, um, where it, because we, we want to provide that level of information um, to ensure that the session look a certain way or there's a level of learning um, uh, that you won from that particular session, but I, I definitely agree. It does sort of take away from probably what makes us good on the grass, um, the, the real sort of detailed little coaching bits. Um, so I had to come up with, with, with a few ideas in terms of how to um, almost introduce information um, within the sessions. And sometimes it was, we primed them for the session other times it was uh, what I call speed information. It's just on the grass, so you can then really coach the coach the um, sort of the level of detail that you want to go in, or how do you make them actually better there on the grass. Um, and what I find now in, in in the current role, because the girls are international players, but they're still amateur players, and with COVID, you you don't have COVID has probably forced us a little bit to to try and prime. But I also know I can't prime too much because they um, they amateur players. So I'm actually spending more time coaching, which is brilliant, which is which is what you what you want to do. But there's definitely how do we? But now I, I'm I'm sort of 
um, have to figure out the best balance. How do I, because I can't have team meetings, for, for instance, at the moment. So how do I create the level of, of understanding prior to a, a particular session? And I've explored what sometimes a video, other times nothing, just on the grass. So it's having a little bit of fun with that. But definitely, I think they, they, we could probably go down the route where we, um, uh, it then becomes really neat. Although we, we say we want to explore and be creative and coach in the moment, but everything we do beforehand makes it then very, very neat um, um, on the grass. So no, some definitely some, some good points there. I think you, you guys have raised some brilliant points in that. And I, I really like Barry's point of just, just that reference point. So I, I always find that's a challenging conversation as a coach. You, you go to a player, you know, if they're playing a small-sided game or something, you're like, oh, do, do you remember that decision you just made? And they're like, no. It's like, great, that's, that's kind of just ruined my whole opportunity to have this conversation because you actually have no idea where you were, what you did, what you saw, and you're just like, hmm, okay, how... How do I now overcome this? How do I recreate that for you? And I just think, yeah, I mean, if you're filming training, it's brilliant, isn't it? Because I think that's the bit you can clip. That's the bit you can then get them reflecting on or whatever. But in, as you say, AB, in that moment, actually, it's brilliant, but it can be really challenging if they're just not, they're not in that place where they're on, they've seen the same thing as you or whatever. So as you say, I, I, yeah, that, that art of coaching, I, I, we definitely don't want to lose in any shape, but I wonder actually, is and I guess that's that's probably a personal reflection as the coach some will probably be very good at the priming piece less so on the grass and and just being aware maybe it's about being being as best we can good at all of it um no I love that awesome um cool right we will pause that one there and we'll shift on so was we're coming to you um what is it that you're going to uh, talk us through mate um, so I've been I'm calling this closing the gap. So I've been exploring with this concept for, for a little while. Um, and actually just recently watched um, uh, the Fresh Prince Bel-Air, the 30-year reunion. Um, and it sort of conf confirmed all my, my biases within this reunion. So there's a, a, a specific piece um, within the sort of within the documentary where uh will smith um will smith so it was his first time that he was performing dialogue pretty much with 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 fresh prince ballet but what what i realized by you wanted to be so good at performing at performing so he studied everyone's lines he knew everyone's <laughs> lines he could have played any character uh, within the series. Um, and there, there's a, a, a brilliant moment where they capture this sort of, sort of piece um, within one of the scenes where one of the characters is speaking to him. But while he's speaking, he's replaying, um, having the same conversation with this character. <laughs> just sort of the lips, you can just see his lips going, uh, basically saying exactly the same words. And this sort of obviously happened a few times until they had to show him the video and go, mate, you got to stop this because you are putting, you are putting the, the other characters off. So it just sort of made me um, keep thinking about this sort of when I talk about closing the gap, I think from a coaching point of view, we're really good at planning. So we prepare the session and then we jump on the grass 
and then we we go and coach. Um, but the thing that I've always sort of heard through the sort of through this coaching journey so far, we always say to players, um, "Are you doing extras? What are you doing extras? <laughs> are you upskilling yourself? What are we doing?" So I'm talking about this sort of this closing the gap. So what are we doing as coaches from how we prepare? Uh, are the planning to how we actually improving ourselves? What are we doing? What is our extras? How are we practicing the way we coach? Um, so I've been exploring with a few ideas to make sure that I can um, better prepare myself to actually go on the grass and then go and perform. Because every time we step on the grass, that is our performance. Um, so it's it's it, and then it all links to how do we improve the quality of practice but if we are doing our individual our individual bits that might mean that i might spend a few minutes just in the mirror practicing how i might ask that question i'm running through different scenarios in my head um, if this person catches the ball in that particular manner um, knowing that individual and this is the context how am i gonna ask that question how might i do that so uh, i'm just putting myself in different scenarios and uh, playing it through my, my head. And probably the, 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 best, uh, the best sort of example I had, I, um, when I took a, a young England team to Hong Kong Sevens, um, it was my first Hong Kong, it was my first Hong Kong event. And I was absolutely breaking it as a coach. I sort of already in my head, it was going, what am I gonna say at halftime? How am I gonna have these conversations? with 50, 60,000 people in the crowd going, going nuts as these guys actually gonna, gonna respond to what I'm saying. So I literally practice every, every team we were gonna play in the pool, practice every scenario, how it might happen, how I'm gonna have the conversation at halftime, who I'm gonna have to direct certain little bits in. Um, and, I, and I just put myself in a zone uh, where I was absolutely sort of, um, performing at my optimal best in, a, in that particular moment. So I'm, I'm trying to bring this into how do I close the gap before I jump on the grass? Because uh, we're very good at putting everything, we can get to the objective, figure out what the activity might be, bam, then we just go onto the grass and then we sort of um, try and go for feel. But I, I think if, we, if there's, a, there's an area, almost like a gray area where if we are, spending a little bit more time in how we might coach before we coach um that could just that could just raise your levels of performance to a different level so um hopefully that gives you sort of the context where i'm going um and and and, and just again with that watching that piece it made me realize this is probably why will smith is the performer that he is based on the work he's done to get him to, to those particular levels. Um, so yeah, how do we close the gap? That's probably more of a question with a little bit of context. It's a great question. And it's a beautiful way to, to segue to kind of Will Smith and the Fresh Prince, which we haven't talked about. So that, yeah, mate, I was a big fan of that reunion proper have the tissues ready because it's proper teary, eh? Like it's it's full on emotional, but it was an awesome watch. Um, so I guess my question is, 
what what does that closing of the gap look like is that based on like a personal development plan is that just based on your thoughts around the session and where it could go and and the positives and the negatives and the you know kind of stretching stretching your mind in that sense so kind of imagining all those futures and all those potentials or are you kind of working to a a self-reflective this is where I know I'm most comfortable this is you know this is my strengths etc etc these are the bits I need to challenge myself more on where, where do you kind of sit within that yeah I'd say it's probably a little bit of a mix of everything um but it's it's I, I think from a we as coaches we sometimes rely on knowledge um but knowledge can only sort of sort of take you you that far so how do we really improve this this level of coaching skill that might mean idp or development plan but this is actually it's just one step earlier it's just really simple around so if you talk like a lot of the um like business people if we and, and this is probably when we are going to when you go into a test you practice for a test you basically study for that test. If we go into um, uh, a presentation, you're probably practicing that presentation. Now, obviously, we, we do plan stuff, but how much do we actually practice to go and perform with our coaching? So this is, it's, it's almost like just one level, even simpler than that for me. It is just, you got to, we got to put ourselves in positions where whether it's um, how I'm going to present this particular next meeting. Um, how do I, how, what sort of tone do I have to use? How do I get myself to that particular level? What is the number of words that I'm going to use in this particular sequence? How do I reduce words? How do I, you, you see, so you, you can literally put yourself to through um, different scenarios. So when it, do come on the grass that you've seen these things a million times. And we do this exactly with players as well. We go, we try and um, we try and upskill them to go and perform. But how do we upskill ourselves away from the, the stuff we learn from podcasts and books, etc.? But we actually just practicing what we're gonna do. Um, does that answer you? I'm waffling there, but okay. no, 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 mate, no, it's good. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a nice level of detail. AB, jump in. Yeah, no, I just wanted to add something. I wanted to say that if you want to learn um, how to reduce the number of words you use when coaching, um, coach in a foreign language that you've never spoken before, because <laughs> I promise you, you, you learn that very quickly. Um, no, but Warren, uh, I think it's um, you know what you've brought up is great, and I think. I think a lot of the times, um, you know, we, we get stuck in this rut of preparing game to game and coaches forget to actually just look at themselves and, and think about their personal development and their, um, and their growth and their professional development. Um, and I know there are, you know, there's two schools of thought. I think there's um, the coaches with a divine right that have, have been born as good coaches and They'll just keep on going as they are. And then there's the, the left wing that, you know, believes that um, you've got to keep on learning every step of the way. And um, exactly what you say, I think preparation is key, but also you've got to find the balance between pre preparation and 
um, you know, feeling feeling the room and feeling the crowd and and making sure you you kind of you know do that little dance with them. I'm, that's definitely not my strong point in presentations. I don't particularly uh, look forward to it. I'm not scared of it, but it's just for me, it's just a little part of whatever it is we're preparing you know to achieve on the weekend. Um, I think sometimes going back to the the boardroom or the classroom and presentations and stuff like that, I think um, sometimes it becomes a bit of a show and we think that if we give a good presentation that we're going to play good on the weekend. But again, there's a, there's a massive, you know, there's, there's no, there is a link, but there's not really for me a link between your performance on the field and what you achieve on the training field. Yes. The preparation that you, that you do um, in the, in the classroom can help speed up that process, but you still have to go through that process to prepare players physically for, for what they're going to see and how they're going to have to react. Um, and that's for me, again, the, the second part of it is how much time do we really spend on, you know, um, session design and, and what we want players to see and, and react to in training. Um, and again, you get stuck in that rut of week to week and you're kind of doing the same things over and over. Yes. You're trying to repeat without repetition, but, you know, maybe we, we don't challenge each other as coaches enough um, to develop faster um, in, in the route that you're, that you're speaking about. So um, I think it's a really, really important uh, question to ask. Yeah, I love that, um, Warren. It was uh, Fresh Prince of Ballet and everything else coming out. It was just good stuff. It was a different way to put it across. Um, probably... Um, I did something this year, and I only learned it from another coach, actually, who, who guided me a little bit on it, which was about, um, uh, probably I can, I can say a name, but it was Tabai Matson actually, when I was at Bath. And he, and he gave me a really good bit of info. He said, coach as much as you can, he went. Similar to what you're talking about, you know, or putting yourself in them scenarios and, and things. Um, and he explained to me, you know, back in New Zealand, he'd, he'd obviously coach at that level, and then he'd, he'd go down a level, and then he'd coach at different things, and then and this year, I actually, for the first time, went away and did it because I felt that um, I coached two local clubs, but it was all the gr on grass stuff. It was nothing to do with, I wasn't presenting anything. I wasn't in lead of anything. Great bang, happy days. It was a great thing. I actually felt a lot more relaxed than I'd ever done anything at, over the last sort of probably two years or whatever, just because I think you... Uh, just for me personally, not everybody's the same, but emotionally, you, you wire yourself up ready for the session. You've got to be on the money because you've got these, you know, your terminology would be about pro players and you've got to be on the mark with everything that you do. But what I did find in my experience with this was I was a lot more relaxed. I also was able to try things out a lot more because the, the pressure is on to make sure that you know, this has got to be nailed pretty much ready in the build-up for a Saturday, which is, you know, all about the the outcome of the game, for example, as, as AB mentioned there. But um, I, I definitely found that as a benefit for me. It wasn't a, a planned IDP. It wasn't anything stuff, but it was very much what you're saying there, you know, um, about thinking about how to bridge that gap. But I, in fairness, uh, you know, up until COVID point stop, I thoroughly enjoyed that opportunity to actually make mistakes, not worry about mistakes, reflect on it that much more, maybe, and be a lot more my probably self a little bit around them sessions, which I 
you know, whether that's right or wrong, I don't know, but it was it was kind of a different slant on things, really. As in terms of those sessions with the club team, I love the fact you're doing that. I think it's, yeah, absolutely awesome. Was that around you going in with planned sessions and, and kind of rehearsing a session? Or was that you just going in and coaching on the fly with no prep and working on those skills or, or a bit of both? Like, how were you actually using that to improve you? That's a great, great question, Phil, because um, methodically I'm, I'm, I'm like a planner, a reflector. So I've got everything nailed out to the smithereens as many times as I can. I'll look over things way too often too much. So what I challenged myself on this was very much being a bit more on the fly. Um, very much about waiting for the head coach to actually walk out on the pitch and him going to me, um, right, Baz, can you do the warm-up kind of thing? And I'll be like, uh, yeah, right. And then just trying to activate myself there and then. So it was very much more that way inclined than a planned, you know, a fully delivered session because I, I would be very much a, um, a tool for the head coach and the other coaches to work for basically. So whatever they felt, oh, can you help with this? I'd have to go, yeah, okay. Think about it, a couple of seconds and get into it really. So great question, Phil. You know, hopefully I'll clear that a little bit up. Yeah, that's that's brilliant. And and that's literally, I, I, I love that. And this is where I'm struggling with COVID at the minute because I, I, I'm not out, I'm not on the grass doing my extras, what I call my extras. So I refer, you know, when you go to the gym, uh, that is my version of the gym, getting into those school sessions, doing, doing, doing all those, those extra bits. Um, cause I, again, cause that's where you, that's where you, that's where you get the reps in. So you, um, you learn those different experiences and, and it's probably, um, one I've learned from um, spending some time with Stuart Lancaster and, and he referred to know your shit. If you want to know your shit or if you know your shit, you can stand toe to toe with anyone in the world. But to be able to know your shit, you got to get your reps in. So you got to be out coaching. Um, so I, I sort of took that little and I thought, ah, this is a brilliant way of looking at things because the more I can get under the belt, the better for me. So I remember my my early days at at Harlequins. We were you were literally capped with how much time you had on the grass um, um, throughout the week. So I had to come up with a plan, and one of my plans was all my academy players. Um, I would have like hour slots, so that will make up my extra hours for the week. And before I know, um, I've got like fifteen. 20 hours under the belt of just some extra coaching. Um, and then to one extreme, I was coaching Harlequins, England Sevens, and the National Free Club in the evenings. My missus absolutely hated me, but I was getting my hours in. <laughs> and, and those experiences is just making you, it makes you a better coach. So for any sort of young coach out there, because you know, we all want to be professional coaches, but there's not many professional jobs out there anyway. So um, get your reps in. The more reps you get in, the more experiences you have, the more um, comfortable you come in, uh, become in uncomfortable situations. Nice. I love that. It's a great quote from Stuart. And I also think it's a good one for grammar. 
because there's knowing your shit and then there's knowing you are shit and and that's a big big difference so worth uh yeah worth being hot on um jump back to one of your points buzz around i guess how how comfortable in any of your environments for all of you would players be with you getting stuff wrong as a coach is is there that permanent expectation that every time you coach you're going to get it right and and is that completely unfair in the same way we'd never expect a player to come into a training session and get everything absolutely right so uh, are they aware you're going to have bad days and you're going to get stuff wrong or is that kind of is is that where the pressure lies in those pro environments for you as coaches in terms of being on the money all the time um again another great question phil um to like i have done um you know sessions where you you've kind of thought you've said something or did something and you thought afterwards you know or in that moment quickly you think that's not quite right. But where I've been fortunate in some ways, and I suppose this is the bit where you build up relationship with players, as I think is key. If you're good to them, I always feel like they, they've got your back sometimes, if I'm being honest in this environment, where they'll go, uh, no, no, Baz, we were looking at that. And I go, yeah, you're right. <laughs> you know, it's just, you just, you know, everybody's the same, you know, and it's likewise, you know, I, I'm looking after them. They're looking after me kind of thing, really. And if you've got that relationship with them, I think that's the key bit, you know, in my experience of what I've uh, had, you know, that that's where I'd come from with it. I think um, uh, I agree a hundred percent. I think if you, if you construct the way you, you, you build things up amongst the players or with the players, um, it becomes kind of a collective responsibility and it's not just the coach's responsibility or the players. And I think obviously we're talking about the ideal, but that's really what I believe coaches should be aiming for is to, to make it so, you know, it has to be seamless between coaches and players that this is, this is us and we're, we're kind of all we got and uh, the weekend is the weekend and whatever we can say or do to, you know, make the boat go faster you need to have the the guts to say it, even if you're telling the coach, uh, "Sorry, you you've got it wrong," you know. And I think the um, you need to have that open the that open book pol or that open door policy where players can really sp speak their minds even during meetings, um, so that you can hash things out and and be better for it on the weekend. I think it's really important. Yeah, no, <clears throat> that was great points that because. At the end of the day, that that makes your team better, doesn't it? When when there's a greater buy-in from from everyone, but you know how we we throw words out like exploration and vulnerability and and all these stuff. It just comes down to if you want your players to behave in a certain way, but you don't role model those behaviors, you're not going to achieve that outcome. So if if, if for me, is I get a lot of stuff wrong. Sometimes they know, sometimes they don't know. Sometimes I highlight, I actually got that completely wrong. Um, and then sometimes you want to divert the attention away from them as well, because you 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 got a maybe you got whether it's selection or whether it's the design or the the plan or um, the whole setup of of what whatever the scenario might be. Sometimes you get that completely wrong. If you can hold your hand up and go, I got that wrong. I, I think probably links into to to Barry's point there um, and Abby's point. 
that will link the team closer together and that bond will become stronger, um, which then means performance increases um, at the end of the day. I find that fascinating. You know, you look at the England game against Scotland last week and Eddie said afterwards that I've got to hold my hand up and I've got to take responsibility for not preparing the team well enough. And and whether it's just the people I saw on Twitter and social media or whatever, I don't know, but there just seems to be this barrage of cynicism of him going, oh, hold on, he's just protecting his protecting his players. And you kind of go, well, is it is it that simple? Like, surely if, if he feels like that is what he's got. If he comes out and he's honest about that, that's a real positive. Whereas if he'd have gone, no, well, they're all shit. I'm going to drop all of them. Do you know, it seems to be this real kind of contradictory. Everyone would have gone, well, you can't, you can't come out in a post-match press conference and say your players are crap. They didn't perform. Like there's a real obvious level. They didn't perform. So that, that reflection on well, where does that sit? As you guys have said, ultimately it's a collective, but it just seems to be met with this weird, we'll just take whatever alternative position whoever's presented that information takes. And I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know how much you guys would be talking to the press after games and, and having to do that type of stuff, but is that something you're conscious of, that, that what you're presenting to people outside of your environment can be misconstrued? I think there's... Um... There's a steadfast rule. If your team is winning, the players are winning. If you're losing, the coach is losing. And it's, it's never going to change. Because um, if your team ends at, uh, at the bottom of the log or gets relegated, it's not the squad of 34 players that gets fired. It's the coach. So um, I think that's, uh, that's probably going to be, be normal. But no, I think, um, you know, what, what Eddie said, it's, it's the... It's a, you know, he ma- he manned up. I, I I believe what he says is true. I don't think he's a he's a guy that would ever you know um, make up reasons for for why his team lost. He says things as it is, um, and and I believe he you know during or or after the game he he just felt that there was more that he may possibly could have done, um, and for him to take responsibility is is big. And uh, you know, it's it's for him. At, at his age, he's still every game that they play, he's still learning as well, which is which is awesome to see. And I wonder if, as Warren said, that if you want the players to to privately step up and take that responsibility, if he doesn't do that in front of the microphone, how are they then going to look at him and go, "Well, hold on, you, you just dodged that question, like, or you've given a crappy answer, or you sidestepped it." why would we now not do this internally? So, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know how, how much this type of stuff people think about, but I just think it's it's fascinating when you see it played out on a, you know, national, international level of actually just, it, it, it's arguably no different to all of the relationships we have. This just under a far bigger spotlight, I guess, with a, a lot more abuse. So, yeah, interesting. And you know that the, the players know, everyone know, Everyone know in that environment. Everyone know if you get it wrong, whether it's the head coach's responsibility. If we get it wrong, we all know. So it's it's sometimes it's it's for me. It's sometimes pointless to then go, yeah, but you lot got it wrong. <laughs> I didn't get it wrong. You got it wrong. I think everyone know, and that the disappointment would be so high within that within that changing room. Um, so for and that could just be from I'm sitting here listening to him and I go, he's actually got his teams back here, regardless if if so imagine he turned that screw a little bit up 
in there is that actually gonna gonna take it uh, uh, to the next level i i i put myself in that scenario within the women's game where's performance gonna go if i'm going hard <laughs> at it because because with confidence and 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 all those stuff you go so but the end of the day everyone knows within that environment so it, it's almost irrelevant for what the rest of um rest of the media or rest of the people say because if you actually look at it this week everyone said he should change the team <laughs> he didn't change the team <laughs> so is that irrelevant <laughs> No, I think you nailed it there, mate. Nailed it. Yeah, irrelevant. Uh, cool. Right, we will shift that one on. AB, we are coming to you. What, uh, what are you going to talk to us about? All right. Um, yeah, I thought I would, I would share something that I actually read just um, at the beginning of last week. Um, it came across my desk. It's, um, it's a paper by Fergus Connolly. Um, and it was printed, I think, in March of last year. It was called continuous development in sport during chaos um, adapting faster than the opposition um, and I thought it was really you know when I when I read through it or skimmed through it like I do usually when I read it I don't really read read but um, um, I thought it's really relevant to to the situation that we find ourselves in today because it's all about COVID and the learnings from COVID and and kind of how you how you manage um, how you manage your time during the COVID times, and still how um, coaches, players, and teams are reacting during that time. Um, and there are a couple of <clears throat> it's quite a, it's not an extensively long paper, but there are quite a, quite a couple of headings, and there's a couple that I've kind of picked out. Um, but yeah, so so basically, it's it's all about um, you know how you use your time. Uh, in COVID, um, what you did, um, and what, and kind of what you try to achieve. And then it talks about the, um, the leadership during COVID, um, and how leaders, um, kind of navigated through this time and are still navigating through this time. Um, and there was a, a an outline of, of what successful leaders had done and how they achieved it. And it was, it's really short and sweet. And I thought it was quite nice. Um, they said that the leaders in this time, they outlined the situation very clearly to make everybody understand what's going on. And, and at that time, with the li limited knowledge they had, be transparent, um, having clear communication all the time. That's the, that's the second, second part about it. Um, maintain clear vision throughout the process, um, knowing what you want to achieve, even though sometimes the parameters change and the goalposts shift as it still does uh, today, even for us. Um, and then they spoke about something um, called um, clusters. So um, basically working in clusters where you, where you collaborate um, and you kind of become creative, um, but cross-disciplinary uh, within your, well, in, in, our, in our case, within your franchise. So not just possibly the head coach and his two IC sitting and deciding what we're going to do, but really um, getting together as a massive group. And I, I reflect on obviously what, what we did here in France um, and how communication was so clear and, and it was kind of a roundtable discussion every day. Well, possibly not a roundtable, but a round Zoom discussion on, you know, how are we going to move forward and where are we going to go? 
Um, and it, it was just, uh, it really made me think about the last kind of year that's passed and, and how we've de dealt with challenges and through those challenges, um, you know, the, the kind of creative and inspiring things that have come from that. And I'm pretty sure every single one of you um, have kind of your own little story to tell. Um, so yeah, it's, it was a really good read. Um, it definitely prickles the brain in terms of um, what we've achieved, because I think everybody can kind of give themselves a, a tap in the back and say, we've survived and, and we can nearly see the end of the tunnel. Um, but for me, it's, it's a lot about what came out of that, that real intense COVID time when everyone was stuck at home. Um, and there were three, uh, three things that I highlighted. So the first one was um, setback versus opportunity. I think it's kind of the psychological part of it. So did you see it? Did you see this and um, the, the COVID time as a set, as a setback? Or did you see it as an opportunity? And what did you do about it? And how did you how did you frame your experience and what did you what did you achieve? Um, then after that, it's maybe more a personal thing for you as a coach. Um, the, the heading was person before player, but it's basically about how you build relationships or how you maintain relationships during that time. Um, that can be between coaches, between staff members, um, you as a coach, between players, between groups of players. Um, and obviously how you manage that, how you got, um, got information across, you know, were you on Zoom, were you using WhatsApp, um, did you create funky infographics and, and everything in between, you know. Um, then the second part is probably more the global part, which was um, building community, um, which I interpreted as staying true to your values, but at the same time building your DNA during that time. Um, and again, I think there were a lot of um, creative things that were done. I'll give you um, uh, two examples. So we um, basically from the first week that it started, we started something called the President's Beer. Um, and so everybody on a Wednesday evening, everybody logged on to Zoom. Um, the president had a little speech and everybody would cheers, you know, and say, we're all healthy, we're all okay. And we had a beer together on Zoom and guys would create little rooms off the side and start chatting. And, and that was kind of our way to, you know, say we're all in it together. Um, and then the last part um, of, the, um, of the paper was about your professional development but also your personal de development um, and then they give uh, it's a really good resource for uh, TED talks books etc um, but it's also just kind of a guideline that's actually really they've done it really well they give you short little um, negative statements and then how you how you can respond to that and and questions on uh, what you did in that situation if you were in that situation so it's uh, maybe it's not so much um, information, but more of a how to help you guide. Um, but I thought it was really, um, really helpful for me. And it made me reflect on, on the last year that's passed and all the things that have gone by. Um, and yeah, I, I think I thought I would bring it up because it would be a, a nice discussion point between the, between the four of us, because I know everyone will have their, their, own, uh, their own stories and, and things to add. I love that. It sounds really positive. Do, do you think that's almost a blueprint to pick things up when we're back to, you know, inverted commas normal? Do, do, just talking about, you know, clarity 
quality of communication, vision, clusters in, in terms of the cross, uh, cross-disciplinary stuff. Like may, maybe we were doing some of that before, but maybe that's just refocused everybody on actually, well, here's a really clear roadmap to this is what we can do better afterwards. Because if, if you went into any business or any sports organisation and said, yeah, here's, yeah. here's four things we want to do, like they're, they're a, good, a good list of four things, right? Can you read that? Is that what you've written down? That's exactly the, the word the word that kind of sprung to my head was roadmap. So I think I think it's going to be a really good document to to use and to develop for your own crisis. So this was a real really big global crisis and we all had to go through it. but each club um, is going to have their time of crisis and it might be something totally different. but I think, the way you react in crisis is the way you react in crisis. And this is, um, you know, it, it's definitely um, a document that I would um, put forward to, to any franchise to have, have at hand and even study beforehand before whatever, whatever comes next. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it can be, um, I think back to the, the time at the Sharks when we had uh something ridiculous like 21 injuries during super rugby that's a crisis and how do you manage you know how did we manage that time and what did we learn from it and i think sometimes you know you just you just grind through it and you don't actually sit back and say what what made it work or why didn't it work this kind of goes back to what warren said as well um but yeah it's it's definitely um something something that again uh Prickled my brain and and it's it's a it's a big um it's a big subject and i think it's something that we need to expand on picking up on that what i guess what does opportunity look like for all of you once covid is done and dusted so it's let's let's say you know back to normal what is it that you or the players will really try and maximize other than maybe all going down the pub and getting you know having a few beers but is is it the social piece is is that the thing you're trying to capitalize on most or is it just a, a new way to do team meetings i'm just thinking of what what kind of opportunity you, you've managed to get through this and i guess that's changed what what your coaching has looked like or what the environment has looked like i think it would be naive to presume it would just go back to normal what it was before so what, what would your i hate the term new normal but yeah. what would what would the roadmap look like what do you think is the biggest opportunity I think in terms of culture, there's a lot, a lot to be said and done after this this phase of this period. Um, I think there's there's different ways to engage engage players and to get players to to do more together. Um, and I think so. It just gives you more options. And I think you know our, our eyes have been open to to the other options out there. Um, technically, in terms of coaching. I also think there's a lot to be said for, you know, doing, I mean, I'm a big, um, I'm trying to, my brain is thinking in French now, but um, I'm, I'm all for smaller group training. And during the COVID time, it was kind of a, a, a must, a, a must have and must do. Um, and I, and I hope that teams and, and coaches in general have realized the value that, that, that lies within that and really taking time to be, um, sharp in terms of the technical aspect of what you're trying to achieve and and integrating um, you know small how you can use smaller training groups to kind of feed the collective and the, and even to prepare for a plan on the weekend because 
again, we, you know, we've had um, one or two COVID uh, incidents during the season and that take, then you go back to square one of really small groups. And then how do you prepare a team to be ready on a weekend to play, to play as a collective? Um, so I think there's a lot of learnings from that on field and off field. Um, yeah. And just a question, probably more than anything else, AB, is um, I don't know if you found the same thing or, or Warren the same thing or yourself, Philip. It's um, the guys got given a program from, from a conditioning point of view, for example, and they came back stronger, faster, fitter than they were before. And that, and that kind of blew my brain, really, insofar as the COVID part. So... They, they hadn't had any of this stuff. They'd had a, a sort of template in a program, but yet they smashed their scores out of the water by the time they came back. And I agree with you about the small group stuff. I think uh, I, I felt it was like, because you could only be in a cluster of six. And there was a long day. You'd start at nine in the morning and finish at six in the night because you go through everybody. But um, just I'm keen to know how, how did you guys find the... And I found the interaction a lot better just because you were connecting a lot more with six, five, six guys, but just through your own experiences on that, um, you know, the interaction, the connection and how did or did some areas of your, your work or whatever maybe or your organization come back better than they were beforehand, I suppose. That's what I'm probably kind of asking, I don't know. Um. I think the first the first thing is the players were were hungry to get back. So once we we started getting back into small groups, they just had kind of an appreciation for just being able to to pass a ball amongst each other first and foremost. Um, and that kind of hunger to get back on the field was was something that I fed off as a coach, and that kind of just steamrolled steamrolled the whole process. Um, the other thing about it is I think as I think Warren mentioned as well, everybody knows. So everybody knew that we can only work in groups of three or four or six um, and that the coach is there from 9 a.m. To, to 9 p.m. And just in, in us doing that and the, and the players being involved in that process, there's just a, a massive amount of respect kind of earned. Not that, not that we, de, we deserve it, but the, it definitely felt to me like there was more of a connection built because the players could see the effort that we were making. We were ma really trying to make an effort to, to keep them together, to inform them, to help them improve. You know, dropping off what bikes at their house with minibuses, um, dropping food packages off for the wives, etc. All those little things just kind of strengthened connections for me. Um, and I think we're all better for it now, um, more so than we were before. Um, and and I, I, I'm not sure if if all teams had that growth and that um, that kind of strengthening, but the teams that had that that have achieved that um, are definitely going to have a, um, an advantage above the rest. That's for sure. Yeah, no, it's you know I I sort of looked at at this period and it it probably took us back to why we coach, um, and we really. We really had to coach because those groups were smaller. Um, you had to think different. It forced us to almost uh, go away from the traditional way of the game. 
um, and and really connected. Uh, it definitely did for me. Connected me to back to why I coach, and it's 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 having those smaller interactions. You know, sometimes we get caught up with the bigger teams um, because it's everything's big. But now you had to really um, and and properly. It's properly a uh, for for us three in particular who sort of comes with the skill background <laughs> on the call. It probably fuel all our biases because we could really coach people <laughs> to to the way we we almost like to put puzzles together to be able to play in certain ways so i i definitely sort of um i, I look at COVID and it forced us to do things differently it forced us to look beyond the box um because you had to um never uh, i sort of had this conversation we we i i remember we were probably what 50 60 days away from the olympics before it got taken away the the first time no one's ever mentioned zoom before that <laughs> no one no one mentioned zoom teams none of those sort of stuff even come up and then bam COVID come and we're all on zoom and we're having conversations and we we um we coaching we actually coaching people over over zoom so you had to think differently about uh the way we coach and it's probably going to make us better coaches in the long run because i always um there's opportunity within adversity we just we just have to find it um and i remember my first at the beginning of COVID, i lost my first job um my first coaching job so there i was sort of going geez what do i do now because because there's no jobs, because there's no rugby. Um, but again, I saw an opportunity, and I started. I started coaching, coaching skills online. So I was coaching guys in America, uh, Hong Kong, South Africa, all across the world over Zoom. Um, but was another form of uh, was another form of coaching. Some some days you coach someone, you don't know what equipment he has. Um, you don't know if the internet is going to work. You're out in this back garden. Um, we, I did a breakdown session with one of the guys, um, but he, they had no, they had nothing that we could use to simulate a person on the ground, for instance. And I said, hold on, is that a barbecue at the back there? So just take the lid off, put the ball under the lid, <laughs> and we had a breakdown session. <laughs> Do you see what I mean? So again, I was coaching, and, I, and then I started um coaching the whole way through lockdown pretty much um but it gave me another opportunity to look differently at how i could present stuff how can i make this guy perhaps a little bit of a better passer uh without even really seeing the way you pass but obviously you see the pictures going but you know with zoom sometimes you get a delayed reaction don't you <laughs> so you gotta you gotta figure a way of, of of making of making him better but i sort of just like the way you through the papers with and the, and probably the big thing the truth is that clarity with the why and and the vision um and i remember when I was out in America, I used to sit and watch this guy, uh, Lex Gillette. He's a he's a blind, a blind Paralympic athlete. He's one of the best in the world. And I used to just watch him operate around the uh, around the Olymp Olympic training center with no support, absolutely no support. And he had this 
um, they used to put all these Olympians um, and his strap line was you, uh, no need for sight when you have vision. So, <laughs> and, and that was his strap line there up on a wall. And I sort of just watched him operate from his, from his um, uh, sort of uh, where, where he lived into the dorms versus then walking himself down into the, uh, in, uh, just sorry, hold on one second. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I've got an answer for your question, but I think it's a really good question around, you know, why were people coming back in better shape? I, I wonder whether it just highlights even more so the benefit of actual rest. I mean, Bowden Barrett was the obvious one, wasn't he? Like, went away, hadn't done a huge amount, comes back and absolutely just annihilates his Bronco score. And you go, there's something in that. There's something around a genuine rest, not a, you've only got two weeks off and then we're back in for something else and we're back in for something else. And, you know, the, the calendar, the professional calendar is what it is. Like, that's not going to change. I don't know how you engineer that, but I think if we're serious about player welfare, which is probably a completely different debate, um, maybe there needs to be more genuine rest, not just off off season. Um, but in that as well, I, and I've got no proof of this, but I also wonder if there's something around autonomy and self-determination. Maybe we're a little bit conditioned as organisations with the staff we have and all those types of things to go we need to be managing this for people rather than just going, you know, the highly motivated individuals. His, as you, you know, as AB said, here's, here's the vision. You need to find your own way through more of this than, than we currently do. And as I said, I've, I've got no idea, but I would be interested in some sort of study or conversation with a lot of athletes that, that did do really well in that, that period. Maybe some would have gone off the rails and, and gone the other way. I guess that's the spectrum you probably deal with, but that, that might just be something that suddenly they, they had to take responsibility because no one else could do it for them. Warren, did you want to jump in there again? Sorry, I don't want to cut you off. You go, you go, you go. <laughs> no, um, yeah. Look, I think um, I think there's there's a lot of debate around um, players coming back fit and maybe other players coming back uh, fifteen or twenty kilos overweight. So I think again, it's it was different for for each team and and each individual. Um, but definitely, I mean, if players did not, um, you know, develop. Um, develop autonomy uh, over the um, over that period uh, I think they would probably very most likely be out of a job right about now um, so you know it was good learning curve for everyone good learning curve for coaches good learning curve for players um, and I think the, the the main point for me about this whole paper is just to reflect you know really take time to ref reflect on what has happened um, what you know what kind of innovative things did you did you come up with uh, like warren mentioned um i think i might have to go and buy five or six barbecues for our next um for our next ruck session um and uh and then above and beyond that you know you you got to think towards the future and and what does the future hold and and where do we need to go um to one make sure that we can manage um manage ourselves during the next crisis whatever that might might be globally or just for you as a franchise or even for you as a coach or a player um and how do you how do you be that leader during that time of crisis um and and kind of just have a guideline of of um of how you can manage yourself and how you can 
see all these things as as opportunities and and not as setbacks i think they're great questions and uh barbecue lid trade ruck training aid coming soon you heard it here first patent pending um yeah we'll wait for that i love it um i am conscious of your time but last last kind of brief question just based off the news that um there will be no relegation in the premiership this week just interesting your guys thoughts brandon on your experiences in in different um clubs and leagues where there is relegation where there isn't relegation etc etc do you, have you guys seen a difference in teams and how they train and play you know the whole the whole counter argument is oh there's nothing to play for you need jeopardy for it to be meaningful and for it to be quality and all these types of things and I'm pretty sure no one's got any evidence either way but I, I'd just be really interested in your guys observations of does does it make a difference or not how I, I, how long ago did they make the decision about this yeah literally like in the last couple of days so it was yeah so obviously started the season relegation was due to happen and because okay. of covid points and various things um and all the games being cancelled and points allocated they've just gone for this year we it would be a legal challenge whoever got relegated would end up in court so they've gone now nah, okay. there'll be a 13 team premiership next year so yeah does that mean someone get uh no yeah someone gets pulled up yeah, so someone will come up from the championships. There's still promotion, but there's no relegation. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, well, I hope we'll be seeing some better rugby then in the premiership. No, I'm kidding. Um, I, I have to say that because I'm in the top 40. Um, no, to be honest, I, I think it'll it'll be a great thing. I'd love to see how it goes now. Um, and I'd love to see teams at the, you know, at the, at the bottom half of the log um, trying new things. Not uh, not changing their DNA or, but just trying new things, being a bit more bold, um, you know, trying to speed up the game. Uh, there's so much to talk about when we start talking about the game and, and where it needs to go. But we we are in a bit of a rut, you know. I think world rugby really needs to have a look at at where we're at and and what we're producing and how we can change what we're producing to be more of a of a spectator sport because that's at the end of the day that's you know that's what what keeps it going and what increases participation so i really do hope the the, the teams um you know try and try and change the way they play and I, I always go i always probably reference something that my dad says every time i talk to anyone but um you know my dad always says to me there's there's 12 there's 12 teams in the league um but usually there's 10 or 11 teams playing exactly the same, with the exact same structure, performing the exact same skills. And it's the team that does it the best and probably is the strongest that's going to win at the end of the day. So why don't the other 10 teams do something different? And I think that's, that's the question to ask. Why aren't teams doing something different or trying to do something different? Um, but again, it's not that easy when, when you're under the pump and your, your job is on the line, not the player's job, the, the coach's jobs. Um, but no, I think it'll be interesting to watch um, the, the the development and the the, the styles of play um, hopefully change over the next couple of we couple of weeks. Yeah, do you want to go, Barry? Um, yeah, I think I, the last point with with AB, I think is is pretty you know particularly with us. There is no relegation; never has been so. We're in a league which which is um, slightly different, obviously. I think the last point that Davey mentioned there, the, 
obviously the peer pressure, the the media pressure, you know, on coaches and staff, um, particularly even in like Wales, is a small area and it's relentless. Basically, you know, that's 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 the nature of the beast. You know, the, it's all about uh, they got to win. And I do love the bits where you know it be mentioned there, which is look, we know in our division there's probably about five or six which are really strong sides, exceptionally strong sides, brilliant systems, you know, uh, and it would be brilliant to see other teams get rid of the shackles almost of that pressure in order to, and coaches pressure, et cetera. You know, I like the model with the New Zealand franchise because they're employed by the New Zealand rugby union. As long as they are doing their job and they're doing good work, then, you know, they get, you know, the same people do the job next year, you know, as obviously they get performance reviewed and everything else in a proper professional manner that way, which is great. Um, but I think that, you know, when it says like probably n a non-contest, I don't know if, if I could ever take that as a, as a, as an, as a player once myself, I was mega competitive, no matter what it was, whether it was a friendly um, which never really was a friendly, <laughs> you know, to a, to another game, isn't it? You know, so I think as humans, when and the type of people we are in the game, we're naturally competitive anyway. So I don't see how anybody would ever go out and say ah, it doesn't really matter. It does because your pride's on the line, uh, you know, your your club's on the line, all of that stuff. I think the thing that it does give us, um, what we've been able to do is. Obviously, we don't have as big a budget, for example, but the younger players get to play. And what it does do is they get to play, they're Welsh qualified, and you see boys like an Aaron Wainwright, for example, they automatically, because they've had that exposure quicker and sooner, probably than if they were in a strong group, they wouldn't have had that opportunity. They've done really well, and bang, off they've gone. So you know, there, there is that element as well to give people or younger boys an opportunity, go on and off you go uh, and give them a crack, you know, that that's the sort of um, thing from, from a Pro 14 perspective, really. Yeah, no, I, I agree with those points. It's definitely, gonna, it's definitely a psychological release um, from that pressure um, with winning, well, that pressure alone like week to week to week so it releases it releases it a little bit although uh, no one would admit it but it will definitely release and hopefully that release then uh, provide the opportunity for those young players to 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 get more opportunity hopefully that release gives a uh, uh, a different brand of rugby, and you saw on 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 Friday night, you saw uh, Bath and um, uh, who was it? Bath and Gloucester. There was there was uh, obviously a high point scoring game, but there was a, a different intent there, um, purely because of you'd have hoped because of that relief um, or release of pressure. Um, but the the key thing is probably the would see more of these young players get the opportunity. And it would have been interested listening to um, uh, Gloucester head coach, uh, what, I forgot his name now, but, but listen, yeah, George Skivington, listening to him in, in terms of what he's saying, backing the young players. 
But then the question would have been if relegation was on, would they have continued backing those players come come the back end of of um, of that relegation battle when it gets closer and closer and closer? Uh, but now you'd probably see some of those academy boys come through quicker, um, and, and that's what we want to see. We want to see some. All our biases is to high-scoring games, loads of tries, different ways of getting the ball back. Um, but then we also we are in a Premiership where it's slightly different over here in the Northern Hemisphere. So hopefully, hopefully some good news, um, and it gives Saracens and Ealing Trail Finders an opportunity to battle it out uh, down the bottom. But I, I think it's probably one just highlighting it. Uh, um, um, and, and we referred to this earlier with sort of um, AB's sort of this paper around the COVID and what we've learned. But we've also learned that uh, perhaps we don't need a lot. You watch Argentina, <laughs> Argentina beating Argentina beating beating New Zealand. They all train in isolation. <laughs> they went and can be the best team in the world. So uh, there's some there's some pretty cool stuff. Um, to learn from there, and then the Argentinian, the Argentinians doing that, but then from a leadership perspective, probably had a really strong leader there with the uh, is it the Prime Minister of New Zealand, uh, Jacinta, um, in terms of her leadership skills. So, so there's sort of a nice little bit of um, learning that we can steal from everything that happened within that particular moment. Right, definitely, yeah. There's loads to unpick, but um, maybe it does actually tee it up quite nicely. I can plug your dad has very kindly agreed to come on and do a, uh, a podcast special with a few other guests as well around the article that he wrote recently on kind of the the state of the game. So um, I, we haven't got a date confirmed for that yet, but that will be that will be a really really fascinating chat and hopefully a, a great discussion that uh, that people are keen to listen to. So yeah, that will be that'll be interesting. Superb. Um, boys, right. Yeah, again, conscious of time. So we'll jump to your recommendations. Quick uh, quick suggestion, if you've got one, anything that you would plug to people um, that you're saying they should uh, go and have a look at. And we will come. Who, who looks most ready? AB, you, you're coming yeah. first. What are you saying? It's it's because it's I've got glasses on, probably. Uh, and I hate wearing glasses, but my eyes are so bad these days. Um, you looked at the camera first, mate. That was the problem. Uh, um, I thought I would stick on, uh, because the paper was from Fergus Connolly, uh, I'm going to recommend the book um, Game Changer by Fergus Connolly. Um, it's quite a heavy read. It's a, it's a, it's a big book. Um, it dives deeply into, um, into um, tactical periodization. Um, but also a lot of psychology in there, um, a lot of a lot of information around um, the player, the game, the coach, etc. Um, but it's a really, really good book, really in depth, um, and I would say it's a must read for for any coach that really you know wants to take take their um, take their job seriously or their hobby seriously, um, for sure. Awesome, top man, love that. Thank you very much, Warren. Uh, what what are you suggesting? I'm I'm gonna share one of my favorite uh, pods, the Learner Lab pod, um, and this episode in particular, improving the quality of practice for better learning. It's a 22-minute 20, listen, um, and, and it starts in a brilliant way. It starts with a study of uh, 
a London bus driver and a black cab driver um, and the expansion of, of the brain. Um, so if you think about a London bus driver, he jumps in a bus every morning, he goes a specific route um, and he knows exactly what he does. He hasn't, he doesn't need to think about it. And if you think about the black cab taxi driver in London, the variability is crazy. So he doesn't even use a sat-nav and the, hour, the hours and everything they, they have to use or to practice to be able to a black cab driver um, um, is incredible, but it just goes down the variability of practice, finding that balance, the quality of our practice, how do we challenge and stretch? Uh, if you can think about the bus driver as structure and the cab driver as unstructured, um, and they uh, dissect four key principles within that I've taken away from within my own words. Always start with the objective. <clears throat> find your thinking buddy. They talk about a model. I flipped it over to find your thinking buddy. Um, uh, struggle helps you grow, um, but you must find a balance within your training environment. Um, and you got to find the appropriate way to feedback on your individual performance and reflect on that. Um, and I refer to that as my GoPro friend that I always stick on my chest. So that, that's sort of four key little principles from, from that little 22 minute listen. So I'm pretty sure it will change the way you think about your practice. Love it. Top man, thank you very much. Baz, what are you, uh, what are you saying? Well, I, I had to go and dive for this book because I haven't put it out for such a long time. That's why I went off. So, but look, this is my, this is my, this is mine. I don't know if anybody's ever seen it, but it's Kevin Dutton and Andy McNabb, The Good Psychopaths Guide to Success. Okay. Um, now, it's actually the good psychopath part that we're looking for. Um, it's just really just your, um, talks a lot about your inner self, uh, inner belief, um, making sure then that you use all your good characteristics, basically, and how you win people over. So it's a very good book, obviously, because Andy McNabb was SAS, for example, and had all that military training. Um, and then obviously Kevin Dutton's a uh, you know a really top qualified psychologist sort of thing, really. So they've combined both um, to make the book, but it's a good one. <laughs> nice, I love that. Great stuff. Uh, perfect boys thank you very much this is uh this has been fantastic just just so much quality hopefully loads of really good takeaways from uh for everybody listening and i uh, can't thank you enough so uh, i'm going to round up the roundup uh we hope you enjoyed the episode thanks again to my guests for their time and contributions to uh, a really impressive and excellent discussion links to all the content discussed are available in the blurb on rugby coach weekly please subscribe like and share as always, I'd like to thank you for listening, wish you all the best and go well.